take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And something I didn't say in the announcements, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we are especially glad to have you. We are glad to have everybody, but we are especially glad if you are our guest and you chose to worship with us this morning. And we would ask if you, if you would to let us know of your visit with us. You can do it the old-fashioned way. There are connection cards on the table at the Welcome Center back there in the back. Fill that out and let us know, or you can go to, um, you, there's a QR code somewhere you can scan. There it is at the back of the Welcome Center, and uh, you can fill out an online uh, connection card just to let us know that you are with us this morning. We are glad to have you. Some small celebrations. We had more new children and new youth. Uh, I will be happy if I get to say that every Sunday from now on that we had uh, some new uh, kids with us and older kids with us on Wednesday nights. Um, we learned some good news about our insurance deductible this week because our expenses due to the, the reconstruction, things like uh, utility bills are higher because of no insulation and, and constant work that all of that, we've been getting that money refunded to us. Uh, we've tapped our limit on that. So now that goes uh, as a credit against our deductible. So our deductible is beginning to go down. And according to our insurance adjuster, our goal is to get that thing to zero. I don't think we'll get that far, but hey, I'll take any, uh, any credit on the back end that I can. Our new stained glass should be installed this week. Uh, that's not two weeks. That's this week. Um, it'll be finished in two weeks, though, probably. I, I, who knows? Uh, but that is the plan. And then if you are in Connect Group, an adult Connect Group, well, children's too, for that matter, you may have noticed your rooms upstairs were a little stuffy. That's because there's no AC unit anymore for the upstairs. We're in the process of getting those two in the hallway there that we voted in a business meeting, I think, back in July to do. Those are in progress right now. So... There, there's nothing to blow up there, no, no air, no nothing. So but that's a good thing. That's progress. That's small celebrations, things that are going on that, you know, if you're up here, unless you're up here eight, ten hours a day, every day, you don't see those things always. So I'm glad to share them with you and, and let you know that uh, what good things are going on uh, even when y'all aren't here. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 is our focal passage. Our, our passage for Connect Group this morning was uh, 1, 9 through 23, I believe, for, uh, I guess, youth and up. Uh, I, I guess youth. Are y'all doing the same thing we're doing in youth? Is it the same passages? Okay, yes. Um, I know children, I believe, is different, but, uh, but the youth and up. So that was our focal passage, this, uh, our, our Connect Group passage this morning. I am going to narrow us down a little bit to verses 15 through 20. Uh, as we move through the book of Colossians over the next six Sundays, um, I believe it's six, is that right? There's a five, and I think it's five and one on Philemon, if I'm not, yeah, I think it's five Sundays. Uh, as we move through the book of Colossians, we are going to be looking at Jesus. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about how Jesus is at the center of all of it. As a matter of fact, we're going to be ask, answering the question, who Jesus is, or we're going to be looking at who Jesus is from the perspective of Paul's writing to the Colossians. Sometimes it's going to be like this morning, where it's just this grand uh, uh, praise, hymn, uh, hymnic uh, description of Jesus, and, and all these uh, high, uh, well, it's, it's just high worship of who he is. Sometimes it's going to be that. Sometimes we're going to look at it from the perspective of what Paul is telling the Colossians to be or do or not to be or not to do and how that reflects on who Jesus is. Because the reason we'll be looking at it that way, Colossians was written to the church in Colossae, a, a town in um, modern-day Turkey, to address some sort of heresy, either a heresy that was already in the church or maybe was creeping in and, and, and Paul heard about it, some, some information that Epaphras, as we read in the uh, first few verses, 
uh, brought back to Paul and said, hey, these are some things that are going on. We, we don't know if it has taken root yet or not, but it's there. And, and we don't know what the, uh, what the heresy was. We only have Paul's side of the conversation. Remember I, when we went through, I guess, Galatians, we talked about how we're listening to one side of a conversation. We don't hear what Epaphras said. We don't hear what was going on in the church. We only read Paul's response to it. So we're having to, to deduce some things based on that. There was some kind of heresy that we don't know what is, but it, it, it leans to, it appears, and as, as hard a statement as I'm going to make on it, it appears that there was some danger of adding a new mediator between man, between humans, and God. And that mediatorial role was being uh, taken up, at least in this view, by some levels of angels. Okay, Michael, where in the world did you get that? Well, there are a couple of phrases that Paul uses throughout the letter of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, that talks about angels, and, and, and uh, he, he mentions that. And we know from history, from studying the area, that there was a Jewish, uh, we would call it probably a secular Jewish uh, view that there was some gradations of angels that could help them get closer to God. Which, if you're functioning without Jesus, then you need the help, right? And they, knew, they understood that, this group of Jews, but it was kind of borrowed from pagan religions. So it's, it's an interesting mix and mess to, to creep into the church, but that seems to be the, the heresy that's going on. There's, there's a, a Jesus and sort of thing happening. Very similar to what was going on in Galatians, except then it was Jesus and uh, physical outworkings of being, in, this, in, in the Galatians case, Jewish. You've got to do certain things. You've got to be a Jew first, then you can be a Christian. But given the tone of this letter, much, much nicer than Galatians, it appears the church has not gone as far. So Paul is writing to tell them, you don't need another mediatorial group. You don't need somebody else in, on top of Jesus to get you to God. You just need Jesus. And so the letter of Colossians is going to explain Jesus quite a bit to them. Hence the title for the series, Who Jesus Is. And this morning, we see that Jesus is at the center of everything. And we see that primarily in verses 15 through 20. So read that with me. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and, though, and, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This passage is really divided into two sections, but it has a third little transitional section, the, the divisions are fairly easy to see. In verse 15, he says, He is the image, the firstborn. And then in verse 18b, he says, He is the beginning, the firstborn. Those are the two sections. And those two sections, uh, the first section rather, goes all the way back to creation and before. And then the second section goes all the way to the end of time and after. Paul is covering both ends with Jesus. That's who we see that he is. That's how we see that he is the center of it. And then in the middle and at the end, 
And already a little bit at the beginning, or at least before we got here, he's talking about how Jesus is the center of it as well. He'll say at the end that Jesus is the whole reason for all of it. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So he starts with creation in verses 15 and 16. Just like John 1 does, and, and other passages tell, tell us, and some passages, passages in Hebrews tell us that Jesus was not only there for creation, he was a part of creation. As a matter of fact, he was doing creation. When John talks about, or when Genesis talks about God speaking and creation happening, John explains to us that God and the Logos, Genesis says God's Logos created, John 1 tells us that God's Logos created and that Logos is Jesus. And now Paul says in the letter to Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So what does this passage tell us about Jesus? Well, first it's talking about Jesus in creation. But it tells us that first, Jesus is a photo of God. Now, I could quickly step off into heresy here and, and, and make Jesus the Son be things that he isn't as far as our Trinitarian understanding of God. So let me immediately say, while he is a photo, he's actually much, much more than that. But this is the idea that Paul is getting his readers to understand. He is an image. He didn't have photo. And, and we know we don't make graven images of God. Paul would have never done that. Commandments, Ten Commandments tell us not to do that. Paul wouldn't have broken that. So what he says is, we don't need a, a wooden image or a stone image. When Jesus came, he was the image. He was the photo of God. But, but, but more than just a representation, because that's what a photo is, right? You can look at a photo, or you can look at a, a, a carving, and say, oh, all right, I see this carving or this photo has all these features, and I can look at that, especially a photo today, and say, that is our child 10 years ago or 11 years ago or whatever it is when the memory pops up on Facebook. I recognize the features, but I also know that that photo is not my child. And you know the photo of your loved ones aren't your actual loved ones. It is an image of them. But what Jesus was, and Paul is going to make sure we understand as he moves through this song of praise to Jesus and about Jesus, is that he was more than just an image, he actually was. Because he, he wasn't a picture, he wasn't a carving, he, he, he was here in the flesh, he was everything God is. He's going to say that here in a few minutes, the fullness of of God. So he was more than just what looked like God. He was God. He was, he was if you could pull the, the body out of the photo and say, suddenly it's not just an image on paper, but it's an image in real life, that's what God, that's what Jesus was. But again, we could get into heresy. We could say, oh, Jesus looked like God or was kind of like God or had parts of God. No, Paul's not going to let us stop there either. He's going to make sure that we understand that Jesus was God. This Trinitarian, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this nature of Jesus that we can't adequately describe without coming short and then being heretics, He's Jesus, he's fully human, and he's God. He is fully divine. He's the image of God. Most importantly, when you look at Jesus, as he would have tell, told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the idea behind the image. Not that he's a representation, but that he is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Y'all, Some of y'all joke that... Uh, that Jaden especially, well, he and I favor a little bit. Is that what you said, Melissa? Jaden and I kind of look alike sometimes and occasionally sound alike. It's, it's, it's hilarious. We, we had took a, a video of being in Baton Rouge just a few weeks ago when my mom got to ring the bell for having no more cancer at the, at the hospital in Baton Rouge. 
we, uh, y'all clap for her. She won't mind that. Um, we were videoing and all that, and, and, and Etta had it on her phone, and we were driving home, and she was listening to the video and uh, editing it down a little bit. And I couldn't tell. Well, I was hearing talking on the video, and I kept thinking to myself, I don't remember saying that. I don't remember saying that. It wasn't me. It was Jaden. I couldn't tell our voices apart on the video. That's how much we uh, tend to sound alike. At best, he's an image of me, but he, he's not me. That's not how Jesus represents God. It looks a lot like him, sounds a lot like him, but not him. No, Jesus is God. I, I spent a lot of time there because I don't want us to be confused. I don't want to uh, take us down a path we shouldn't go, but I want us to hear the magnitude, the impossible, uh, 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 gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, our inability to understand who Jesus and God are, and yet we, we continue to try to plumb these depths and, and learn more. So he's, he's the image of the invisible God. He says he's the firstborn all, uh, over all creation, and we could very care, quickly get into, well, see, Jesus was born. Jesus was created. Jesus, nope, that was a heresy that uh, popped up in the two, three hundred ADs by a guy named Arius, and it got squashed pretty quickly, though it rears its ugly head occasionally. When he says firstborn here, he is not talking about actual birth. He's not talking about Jesus' birth uh, on earth at, at, at Christmas, what we call Christmas. He's talking about Jesus being in the primary position. He is the firstborn. He is the most important. He is the one above everything else. Just like they would have understood, especially in that day, that the firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn gets everything, and then everybody else gets everything else if there is anything else. So the, the firstborn gets the primary inheritance. He is the most important of the family, and that's who Jesus is. He is the primary. He is, he is the firstborn, but overall creation. He's not just talking about humanity. He's not just talking about the church at this point. He's talking about over everything. Jesus is primary over all of creation. And then he says, for everything was created by him, so that's why he's the firstborn. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus, as through him, he is the agent of creation. Remember what I said about John, uh, about Genesis 1. In the beginning, God's, God logos and, and the world was created. And John tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the logos, and that logos was Jesus. So through the word, through the logos, through Jesus... Creation was created. And it was everything. And he, when he created it, when God created through Jesus, it, it's everything it says in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. It, it said heaven and earth, okay, we got the, the physical out of the way. The sky, the stars, the universe, the planets, all that stuff, our planet, everything on our planet, everything on all the other planets. That's all done. And then he spends time on all the stuff we can't see. Visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers or authorities. Those phrases tend to be about the spiritual realm. Certainly he is talking about the temporal human realm of ruling but he's talking about everything that we can't see. And all of that is subject to Jesus. Now let that rest for just a second. It's all subject to Jesus. We just, back this summer, we went through Job, right? Job, Satan had to ask permission to sift Job, to, to attack Job. It went through God. It, 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 uh, Jesus tells his disciples that the, the devil is asking to sift you like wheat. It, it is, it is per, God's permissive will that allows us to go through anything. It is all subject to Jesus. This is no Frankenstein's monster 
where uh, God created, Jesus created, and they were, and suddenly they're like, oh, heavens, what have we done? They kind of got out, out of hand here a little bit and started terrorizing people. It was never out of hand. The creation was never not subject to Christ. And of course, like I said, the, we have this emphasis on the spiritual and the, uh, and the invisible, all these powers in the heavenly realms, and what we see is not uncontrolled chaos, but even these bad things, even those who don't serve God by their uh, uh, will or by their, um, by their enjoy, serve God by their very presence. Everything is a part of this grand unseen purpose of the Godhead. Visible, invisible, thrones, authorities, rulers, uh, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, they are all created through him and for him. It's all created for him. And again, that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. We want to say, well, God, why wouldn't you only make good things in order to worship you, in order to praise you, in order to serve you? And, and then right after you ans- ask that question, you should suddenly turn your eyeballs inside and kind of look down a little bit and go, oh, but he made me. And while there are times when I serve him and praise him, there are certainly times when I'm not any better than rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. The difference is, I'm, I pray when you look inside, you, you see the blood of Jesus, that the difference is that we can be saved by Jesus Christ. And then we not only serve the grand unseen purpose, even in our sinfulness, we also serve the grand unseen and seen purposes of God by conforming to His revealed will in Scripture. And then finally, we see that Jesus is not only in creation. He's not just an image, a photo of God. He's not just in the primary position. He's not just the agent of creation. He is the goal of creation. All of this points to Jesus. When we read the Old Testament and we're, we're gearing up in creation to talk about the, the fall of man and, and we move through the history of uh, the Jewish people and into the New Testament, we see that the entire purpose, the whole thing from beginning, from before the beginning, from all the way back into eternity past, all the way through into eternity future, the goal is Jesus. Creation was made to get us to Jesus. Then we come to the transitional passages of verses 17 through 18, 17 and 18a. And the A part would be, he is also the head of the body, the church. And then we'll stop there. This, this is, uh, we've had Jesus in creation, now we have Jesus in relation. Jesus as he relates to everything that he has made. What are these two, uh, three lines in my Bible tell us he is before all things and by him all things hold together he is also the head of the body the church well we see first of all that jesus is the priority i already talked about that a little bit right Uh, he as the firstborn he's in the primary position he is uh, the, the, the one who is in charge of it. He is the one who gets it all. It's created for him and through him and by him. But more important, or maybe not more important, but equally important as being primary, he is the priority. We already said that. It was created for him. He is the goal of creation, beginning and end. What we should see here when it says he is before all things or he is above all things, he is in the primary, the the position of priority, is that he is more important than anything else. He's before all things. That should affect our decision making in life every day. Should I do this? What's most important here? Jesus. Well, if I I need to do this or this, what's my priority? My priority is always not this or this, but Jesus. 
And we probably don't spend enough time thinking that way. And then some people think it a little too much. Like, is it, is it chocolate cake or lemon pie for dessert? Well, what would Jesus do? Maybe we take it too far sometimes. We don't want to do that. Jesus would eat a little bit of both, I think. That's just, just me, because, you know, they're both good. But he is the priority in any decision we make. But he's not just talking about priority, though he is. He's not just talking about importance, though he is. When he says he is before all things, he's talking about his infiniteness, his infinity. Again, just in case you misunderstood firstborn to mean there was a time when Jesus was not, which is what Arius would have said, and he was denounced as a heretic. Paul wants to make sure. He was the firstborn, yes, but he was before everything. So whatever you can think of, he was before that, except God. He is talking about the infinite nature of Jesus. He says, tells us that Jesus is the binding. So Jesus in relation, Jesus in how he relates to us, he is the binding. He says, by him all things hold together. Uh, the uh, Edda, Tom, and Amy... Edda, Tom, Amy, and I got to go to a, a pastor's and wives retreat the beginning of the week in, uh, in New Orleans, and the speaker was uh, Charles Lowry, who uh, is a pastor and a psychologist, and uh, he's, a, he's a great speaker, uh, very entertaining, but also very uh, poignant and, and, and hits where he needs to hit. And I may have told, we, we saw him, I think, last autumn, winter, I'm not sure when it was, here in Lake Charles. And I may have told you this then, but because he said the same thing here. He made us put his, our hands over our hearts, and he has this long uh, uh, um, declaration, basically saying, I'm not in charge of the world, so I give up my position as, as ruler, because I, I can't fix it anyway. I can't do anything. It, it's not my job. That is what Paul is saying here, that Jesus holds it all together. We can quit trying to hold it all together. We can't. Most of us couldn't handle uh, ten two-year-olds in the same room. Okay? And some of you are wonderful preschool teachers, and, and you can organize it, and you can do that, but let me keep adding a two-year-old. Eventually, I'm going to find your limit. So, so you, you, you can't do that. So why do you think you can hold the world together? Why do you think you can control it all? Paul says, Jesus is the binding. He is the one in control. We don't see it a lot of times. We don't, we don't look around often and think, well, Jesus is holding the roof up. We, we look at the, the beams and the wall, and we, we, we've got structural engineers that tell us uh, what what's holding the roof up, but that doesn't mean he's not doing it. Uh, one of the things I learned probably watching Alton Brown on uh, one of the channels about cooking is how important eggs are in baking. Y you leave out the egg on most cooking projects, most dishes, and whatever you're cooking is going to come apart. Whether it's a cake, whether it's a, whether it's a casserole, whatever it is, you've got to have some binding agent. And it is that egg that does that. And, and you don't taste the egg, really. I mean, you, you, especially if you don't use too much. It, it cooks in. You, even in the flavor, if you don't put it in, you don't really miss it. But if it's not there, you know it. Well, it's a probably a horrible analogy, as most are, but Jesus is, is that egg in all things. We, we don't notice him. We should. We absolutely should be aware of how important he is, but he is that binding agent keeping it all together. If he, if he, imagine if he let go. And he said, I'm just not going to hold it together for a little while. Well, then we would miss the egg. We would miss the binding we would miss the control. We think we want control. We think we have control. 
honestly, we don't have it, and, and, and I don't want you to have it, um, and I don't want me to have it. It's just not going to work. Jesus is the one in control. Jesus is the ruler, and now we get to the, the passage where he says he is also the head of the body, and we're going to define this head in three different ways, all three ways that Paul uses in other places and uh, intends here. First of all, the head is the ruler. Jesus is the ruler. The head is the one that makes the decisions. If, if, if you get up in the morning without your head, you're not going to get up in the morning. Your body's not going to do things without the brain part. The head is what makes the decision. Head says, all right, open your eyes. All right, tell Alexa to turn the alarm off. Uh, all right, now, now swing over. Oh, your head just told you something hurts. Uh, well, got to get up. Nope, got to get up slower this way and turn all these. Or maybe that's just me. Um, the head makes the decisions. The head is the ruler of the body. It, it, Jesus is the ruler of the church. When Joe McKeever was here, uh, however long ago now it's been, it, he, he, he goes down a list. Pastor, you're not the ruler of the church. Jesus is. Deacons, you're not the rulers of the church. Jesus is. Committees, you're not the rulers of the church. Jesus is. Members, you're not the rulers of the church. Jesus is. And he goes a little, he has more to it. He says, this is Jesus' church. He loves this church. He owns the church. Jesus is the ruler. So that's the, the first uh, aspect of Jesus being the head of the body of the church. The second is, Jesus is the supplier. When, uh, if you're the head of a corporation, you may not be the one who produces everything that supplies uh, what that corporation needs in order to do its work, whatever its work is, uh, the business that it does, but you are the one who makes the decisions on where those things come from and how it gets done, and, and, and the resources you pull in. The head is the supplier. In our case, the, the head is the supplier of the, the motivation to do what needs to be done. The head is what the, the body depends on. When, when the head, when the, 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 the president of a company is, is removed for some reason, there's a small bit of chaos usually that ensues. Oh, the, you, somebody's got to fill in, and now we've got to find somebody else to, to replace them. And, and that person's job usually splits over two or three people for a little while because it, that person, they had their jobs, but that person had his, his job or her job, and now they've got to divide it, and everybody has one and one quarter jobs to do or, or whatever the, the case is. The body depends on the head. We depend on Jesus. The church depends on Jesus to supply us with what we need. The, the head has all the resources. The head has all the knowledge. The, the, in our case, the head has all the money. The head has all the people. So we don't have to worry about those things. We only have to do what the head tells us. And lastly, the head is, Jesus is, the personality of the church. If you come across a body with no head, chances are that body's going to be lacking in personality. Right? It's just going to be kind of dull, boring. Just kind of lay there. Wonder what that person was like. I don't know. He doesn't have a head. We're not going to know much about him. Jesus, the head, is where we get the personality. It would happen that way in any business too, right? The, the owner of the business, the president of the business, is the one who gives the business the personality. Is it a horrible place to work? Is everybody hateful and mean? Generally, if you follow it up to the head of the corporation, of the business, that's where you find boring, mean, hateful, whatever. But if you find someone who loves the job and wants to create an environment of, of joy and, and happiness, and I want everybody to love their job, I want everything to, to go as well as possible, the, the company is going to trickle down. Probably the biggest uh, example of this would be working at Google with all their stuff, with all the toys and everything. Now, part of that is they want you to live there. 
They want you working all the time. And what better way to, to have you living there, working all the time, than to have all these wonderful things. You don't have to leave the building. You've got everything you need right here. So, you know, is there some manipulation there? Yeah, but analogies break down, right? But the, the other thing is they want fun. They want thinking. They want outside-the-box ideas. The, the personality of the whole corporation is that of the head of the corporation. The personality of the church should be the personality of the head of the church. If you come across a hateful, mean, grouchy, inwardly focused, outwardly uh, uh, angered, outwardly uh, combative church, they are very likely reflecting a head of their church, but they are not reflecting the head of the church. The personality of the church should reflect Jesus. That's Jesus in relation, in relation to specifically the church, but it's a transition, right? He's before all things, and by him all things hold together, his relation to creation. He is also the head of the body, the church, his relation to the church. And now, verses 18b through 20, we see Jesus in reconciliation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, we're not talking about the beginning of creation now. We're talking about from his resurrection. Actually, further down, we're talking about our resurrection. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. First thing we see here, is that Jesus is the proof of victory. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. On that Easter Sunday morning, when Jesus rose from the dead, we were told, we were given the example, it was proven that death did not have the victory. That Jesus defeated it. He had said all these things about being able to forgive sins, and which is easier, to, to heal somebody or say your sins are forgiven. But just so you know, I have the ability to say your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. And, and the lame man was healed. But even that, they're like, oh, okay, he, you know, camera trick. Um, the guy could walk already. Who, yeah, y'all said he had been paralyzed from birth, whatever. We know this is all, you know. But when, when Jesus did it to himself, when Jesus rose from the dead, suddenly we've got some, they got some issues to deal with. Okay, maybe there's some truth. Paul says later, that if, we, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we of all people are to be pitied. Why? Because we're morons. We, are, we have been deceived by this crazy story about some guy in the Middle East 2,000 years ago who got beat up by the Romans because he was some uh, seditionist, insurrectionist, didn't want to do things the way they all had always done them. He got beaten and killed and died, and they created this wonderful story about him rising from the grave, and we, 2,000 years later, are meeting on a Sunday morning to talk about a fake. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if he did, then boy, Heidi, we got some things we need to get straight, and we should be here on Sunday morning, and we should be here more often than that. We should, should certainly be at his feet, and we should be reading the words he wrote, the words he said, the words he inspired to be written, the words that are him, right? Because the logos, the word that, that John is talking about, these are the words, the word is him, Jesus is the word. You know, it, it's, it's all him, so we should be in on this a lot if Jesus ra was raised from the dead. And then we should be looking forward joyfully to the day that we, because he was firstborn, that means we're going to be secondborn. We get to do it too. We have, he has proven the victory over death. 
He's the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Revelation and, and Ezekiel and Daniel and a few other places tell us, give us snapshots, images, give us uh, language that helps us understand without describing in detail or exactly what will happen, that something's going to happen. And one of the things that we know that's going to happen is all of this is going to be redone. We're going to get the church remodeled again when Jesus comes back. So we don't have to do it, and it ain't insurance money. And it won't take this long. It'll be shorter than two weeks, Lenora, I promise. When Jesus does it, it'll be done in a hurry, and it'll be done even better than Paul Davis did it, even though they're doing a great job. The new creation will be Jesus's. He might come to have first place in everything. He was first place in creation, and then when God redoes it all, Jesus is going to have first place again. Because he, he rose victorious from the grave, now he's going to give power over everything. He is going to be in charge of everything, right? He sits at the right hand of the Father now. We talked about this a few weeks ago, what it means for the co-regent to sit next to the king. Equal authority, equal power, normally the position of the firstborn son. Well, he's firstborn, he is the son, but they are co-equals. They are the same. They are, uh, they are both God. They are not the same as each other. Jesus isn't, uh, the son isn't the father, and the father isn't the son, but the father is God, and the son is God. It's Jesus math. I don't understand regular math, so I can't explain Jesus math to you, but that's the way the Trinity works. And Jesus as co-regent will be over the new creation because, he says in the next statement, Jesus is fully God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All fullness. All fullness. That's, that's like saying his all all. Everything, everything. He's doubling up or maybe even tripling up in the way these words are used. Everything that God is, all that everything God is, is in Jesus. Well, if everything, if all of everything that God is, is in Jesus... That means there's nothing in Jesus that isn't God. That means they're the same. Jesus is fully God. And now Paul begins to make his point that he's going to do over and over through the book, through the letter, about their heresy. If Jesus is fully God, if Jesus is everything God is, beginning of creation, end of time, everything in the middle, firstborn, you don't need another mediator. You don't need a hierarchy of angels. You don't need anything but Jesus. I'm going to step on some local toes. You don't need Jesus' birth mom. You don't need saints to pray for. Jesus is the mediator. Y'all don't have to get me in a dark room and tell me everything you've done in order to have a relationship with God. Jesus is your only mediator. Not only is he your mediator because he is fully God, or not only is he fully God because he's your mediator, because he died a fully satisfying, atoning death. He is your mediator. And because he is God, the fullness of God, dying on the cross, then God, the Son, paid the penalty that God the Father required, that the Trinitarian God required. Are you confused yet? Good. Because if you can figure it out, He ain't God. You know, some of us are fairly simple. Feed us, give us a TV, that's all we need. But, but, but God is not that simple, and neither is the Trinity. But because He is God, who died satisfying what God required, my sins can be forgiven. And then Paul wraps it up. If Jesus is the mediator, if Jesus has the fullness of God in Him, verse 20, the fullness dwells in Him, 
and through Jesus, and through him, rather, to reconcile everything to himself. There's God satisfying his own demands. Reconcile everything to himself. Reconciliation. Salvation. Jesus is the way to salvation. All things will be reconciled to him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, reconciling everything to himself. So, volcanoes will be reconciled to Jesus. No more volcanoes in the new heaven and the new earth. Earthquakes will be reconciled to Jesus. Hurricanes will be reconciled to Jesus. Uh, 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 viruses will be reconciled to Jesus. Cancer will be reconciled to Jesus. All for everything will be reconciled to Jesus. All of creation. Because all of creation will be remade and it will worship Him. Now, not, not physically, not, not, uh, not actually. Psalms tell us that all creation... Uh, 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 Something the glory of God. I lost the verb. But anyway, uh, worships and praises and, and, and speaks of the glory of God. All creation does. And it tells us that if, if people don't worship, the rocks will cry out. They will worship. Well, there will be a day when all of creation will bow to God's will. Right now, sin causes hurricanes. No, not your sin. It didn't cause a hurricane. But a sinful, broken world means we have hurricanes and volcanoes and viruses and cancer. But one day, all that goes away. Everything will bow to God's will, and that includes humans. Jesus said, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus didn't say that. I think Paul did. One day, you realize that means everybody. Every tongue. Every knee. Your choice, and your only choice, is how will you do that? Will you bow the knee and confess with your tongue as someone who does it joyfully, entering into eternal presence with God through the blood of Jesus? Or will you bow the knee and confess with your tongue and be turned away because you were forced to then because you didn't do it in this life? We, we have a choice in how we're going to do that someday. We either confess and bow now and spend eternity with Him, or we wait until that day, and we're condemned to hell because we didn't do it in this life. Paul continues in verses 21 through 23. Through 23. He says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This morning, I ask you, are you alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions? Jesus is reconciliation. And you can have salvation this morning. You can bow the knee and confess with your tongue this morning. And your eternity will be secure. But you just need to understand your sinfulness, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes you. The wages of those sin, that sin is death. Separation from God. The bowing the knee, the confessing with the mouth, and then you're sent away. You're done if you don't do it in this life. But in this life, we have been shown Jesus, who we just talked about, who is the firstborn, who reconciled us through His body, through the blood that He shed. God proved He loved us when He sent Jesus to die for us in our sinfulness, even when we didn't deserve it, and we don't deserve it still. And if you call in the name of the Lord... You will be saved because if you confess with your mouth now, 
and believe in your heart, and it's not in this passage, but I'll go ahead and, and say, spiritually, bend your knee. Bow at Christ. And believe that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. And then you will get to be the second born from the dead. And Jesus will be at the center of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You give us these grandiose descriptions of our Savior. You let us see our, our Savior in a light that should awe us, scare us, give us peace, give us hope, comfort us all at the same time. Convict us, change us, encourage us, direct us. God, may who Jesus is wash over every part of our brains and hearts so that it changes every part of who we are as we strive to be like Him. This morning I pray for believers who need to be more like Jesus, who needed to hear this message of Jesus being at the center of all things, everything, no matter what we're going through. And I pray for the unbeliever, the one who has never accepted Jesus Christ, that they will today believe in Him as their Savior, trust Him, repent of their sins, and make Him the center of their lives. God, we pray for a mighty work this morning of Your hand on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have a decision to make this morning, if you would like someone to pray with, two of our deacons, Lee and Kirk, are in the back. They would love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like more uh, time to talk about how you can be a follower of Jesus, how you can trust Him and have salvation. Next Sunday morning, if you would like to be a member of our church, we'd love to know that today, but we're doing our discovery class in our Connect group time at 9.15 next Sunday morning. Uh, we'll walk through what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you made a decision a long time ago, but you just kind of got in a way. We'll talk about that. It'll be a good time for you to, to understand who we are as a church and the most important thing that we want you to know, and that's how you can be a follower of Jesus. So in this time of decision, whatever decision you need to make, I pray that you would allow God to work on it as we stand and as we sing, and He does business on our hearts this morning.